Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. I'm an editor at Above the Law, and I'm coming to you from Above the Law headquarters here in New York City. Sitting nearby me is my co-host, Ellie Mistal. Hi, guys. I'm Ellie. I'm also coming to you live from Above the Law, and I am wearing pants and a shirt today because I'm classy like that. I'm not sure whether or not we want to set the bar for classy so low, but I can verify mercifully that he is wearing both of those things. (laughs) So we're back this week after our first couple of episodes. This is our third, and we're back doing what we usually do, which if you... This is your first time hearing us. You don't know what that is. But basically what we're going to do is we're going to turn a legal eye to unnecessarily dissecting a probably decidedly non-legal topic because we just can't leave well enough alone. Exactly. But first off, um, we want to have our little talk about the top stories uh, of the week. And right now, the thing that is grinding my gears the most is Joe's belief that little, small, Children should be allowed to roam the streets free to cause mischief, get abducted and raped at their will. Joe, defend your position. Um, I think I think that position is fairly easy to defend. I'm not necessarily saying that they should be allowed to walk out there, but I definitely don't think that that's something for the law to get involved in. We're talking a lot about the the law. Do you don't think the law should stop children from being abducted and raped by people? That's not something that the law should be concerned about. All right. Well, how about how about we break this into two? I'll answer that f- stupid proposition first, and then come back to the to the main one. The whole fear mongering over abdu- abduction and rape is largely just that statistically fear mongering. The people that you have to worry about abducting and raping your children by all this all measurements are your babysitters, your nannies, your family members. The stranger danger hysteria has largely panned out to be just that, hysteria. Back to the original point, though, this is talking about a series of cases that have come up, one more recently about, quote-unquote, free-range kids, parents who let their children play without hovering over them like helicopters. But it also calls to mind that case about a year ago where a a single mother who was trying to get a job went to her job and left her nine-year-old in a park alone and got prosecuted for that. And these are the laws that strike me that Ellie writes about as being so necessary and that I think are largely overblown and attempts by the system to single out and prosecute poor people who rely on their, you know, rely on parks and so on for their children to have a place to play and aren't really in a position to spend every waking second of the day looking over their kid because they actually have to have jobs. Says the single guy with no children. Look, I think that the key issue here, and and this is, to me, it's as simple as this. You cannot parent via nostalgia, okay? Yes, there was a time back in America when Don Draper was king where you could leave your children to play in a park and walk home from school, and that time is gone. And we have to recognize that time and having simple minimum protections that say, hey, you can't leave your kid under eight years old unattended, which is pretty much the law in Maryland, although I'll get a lot of disagreement about that. Um, 
I don't think I don't see how that's a big deal. I don't see how that's that's a, a suggestion that, um, that the America that we had is gone. Okay, sure, it's gone. It's over. Let's embrace the future where we're going to protect our kids while they're playing in a park or walking home from school. I mean, you can go ahead and say that. You still have ex- exactly zero response to the overriding issue, which is the stranger danger argument is just a falsehood. You know what isn't a falsehood? Are police going around and prosecuting poor minority families who have kids playing in the park because it's a way, yet another way, in which the police can selectively enforce laws against people too poor to do anything about it. Why is it stranger danger? I have a little black son. I definitely want to keep an eye on him the most when the cops are around, not the least. Well, fine. You have to keep an eye on your children. And and that is an irrelevant argument. If you are concerned about watching the kid because you're afraid of law enforcement, then you should absolutely do that. But that's not that's neither here nor there on whether or not there should be a law forcing you to be there at all times. Right. Like that is an irrelevant thing that only applies to you. I keep an eye on my kid when it's in, when he's in the street. When he's at home, sitting quietly in front of his iPad, then I don't have to keep an eye on him. I can play Shadows of Mordor in perfect peace and quiet with the kid sitting next to me on the iPad, keeping an eye on him to make sure that he's not watching me cut off orc heads. Well, and that's fair, but he's also two. When, when the kid is walking around at eight or nine, like the case a year ago, or ten, which some of these laws contemplate, and they're basically a fully functioning human, then you might have some more concerns on whether or not the law, the nanny state should be out there. And it's not just the nanny state, it's the selective enforcement of it that's the real issue. Can we get back to orc heads? That's where I don't want that. I don't, I don't mind the nanny state being around when I'm in public. When I'm in private, playing my Shadow of Mordor, that's when I care about the nanny state. And I think that's the uh, that's more of the topic of today's discussion. Well, it definitely does lead into today's discussion because we're going to be talking about video games and severing orc heads and stuff like that. So I, that actually got me thinking as a transition into this discussion. So what's your favorite video game of all time, Ellie? Of all time? I mean, civilization. Yeah. Easily. Civilization, probably actually the fully formed um, Civ 3, uh, once all the expansions came and, and whatever. I really liked that one. But, I mean, all, all the Civs, uh, I've played so many worlds. So many brutal wars have been fought, mainly against the Mongols. Um, that, that, does, that takes my cake. What's yours? Well, actually, it was going to be Civilization, which probably says something terrifying about us as lawyers <laughs> and people. Because, yeah, no, I, I think Civilization 3 was pretty much the perfect game. I think after 3, it started getting so complex and nuanced that it actually detracted from the gameplay, for me at least. But Do you know the off-book Civilization, the Civilization Call to Power that they made with uh, Activision that didn't involve Sid Meier? Um, in Civilization Call to Power, you actually had a lawyer unit that you could use. And when you built this unit, and it would go into other cities, and it would slow down the production in the other cities with needless paperwork. And I loved it. I always had an army of lawyers in that particular version. <laughs> I did not, not play that. That's amazing. I stopped somebody's nuclear program with my army of lawyers. It was awesome. All right. Well, that brings us to our guest. Uh, let's bring Ryan Morrison, who is known around the internet as a video game attorney. Ryan, are you there? I am. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excellent. Well, so let's tri- begin with uh, talking about your, uh, your answer to this question. What's your favorite video game of all time? Sure. So it's a little cliche, probably, uh, but Final Fantasy VII was the first game that really showed me, you know, the, a game can be better than a movie in terms of immersiveness and a good story. And it really kind of hooked me in there and made me the loser I am today. <laughs> no, there was, a, there was an excellent chance that I was going to name my uh, first kid Sephiroth. Yeah, right, exactly. That was in the running. <laughs> it's a good choice. 
And uh, Dota for 2, I play, yeah, I, I play Dota 2 now, which has destroyed all my friendships and family and everything. So that. Oh, I hear that can get toxic, man. Yeah, you play with five of your friends, and uh, it's a team game. So when one of you screws up, the other four just hate you. And uh, it's, uh, it's a good way to really just despise everyone that you were close with before you got the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about your practice. So w- walk us through what it, what it is to be a video game attorney. Sure. So there's, uh, you know, there's always been entertainment attorneys, quote unquote, but uh, video games have become the highest grossing part of entertainment. They they blow away movies, they blow away TV, they blow away by far music. And there wasn't a lot of attorneys who really understood the space. So the best intellectual property attorneys, the best entertainment attorneys, it got to a point where they could barely check their email with how complicated technology has gotten. So there's this new kind of uh, younger wave, I guess, of specialized video game attorneys where, you know, we know what middleware is. We know how the internet works. We just understand the, the common culture that a guy in his dorm room is creating a game, sure, on a low budget, but he might be the next Angry Birds or really explode overnight. Uh, there's endless distribution channels. There's a million different ways to play games. The term gamer to, you know, the three of us might mean playing Civilization and Final Fantasy, but really everyone in the world is playing games now, they, whether it be Candy Crush on their phone or something in their web browser. They don't call themselves gamers, but they play a substantial amount of games. So there's a lot of room now in this uh, industry to just protect these game developers who have never thought to go to an attorney before. There's a lot of trademark disputes. There's a lot of uh, partnership disputes where two you know, friends will make a game together and all of a sudden it makes a lot of money and they start saying, well, hold on, I made way more than you did and they never had anything written down. It's yeah. the first area of entertainment that you can really go from rags to riches overnight and it happens so commonly. Like, sure, you know, in the movie industry, somebody sells a script and they become a big deal overnight, but it happens very rarely. In video games, it happens daily. So these guys have never thought to talk to an attorney. They've never thought about the law. It's not that they're anti-lawyer. They just, it's never crossed their minds. So when they have all this success and they start getting cease and desist notices or they start, you know, arguing over money or a contractor steals their art assets, it's all problems that just had never been prepared for. So I spend yeah. a lot of time on communities like Reddit and things like that where I just kind of answer questions for free. I try to, you know, let them know that there are not all lawyers are evil and trying to steal all their their, uh, you know, their full bank account. And it, it, the legal world doesn't have to be so scary, basically. I spent most of 2014 playing Don't Starve and I kept wondering how I could give these guys more money. I can't even imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean the free games especially, the games are free and you wind up spending 10 grand on them. (laughs) Well, I mean, we all seen the South Park that broke down the business model of all those free games. That it's all a Canadian plot to steal money from us. That's right. Right. We're not supposed to talk about that, but it is entirely true. (laughs) Does your work ever come across, you know, kind of consumers trying to defend themselves, let's say from EA, who has, oh, I don't know, made a huge franchise uh, city building game that doesn't work for a month when you purchase it? First off, I have not gone through enough therapy to talk about SimCity yet, but it's, uh, <laughs> that was a huge letdown. No, but I, I do, uh, you know, I'm going to use the term unfortunately, but I don't mean it that way, but I do get almost 10 emails a day from someone who bought a game and and feels defrauded by what they were promised and then what the actual game was, and they want to start a giant class action. Uh, You know, that happened with, like, Alien, Space Marine, uh, Colonel Space Marine, whatever it was called. 
it's just not going to work. You know, the, the false advertising class actions, maybe there's some precedent there. The most you're going to get usually is, is the value of your game back in a giant class action that takes two years. And personally, I just want no part of that. I, there's, a, there's enough other stuff to keep me busy. So that's more for the, uh, the equivalent of the IP ambulance chaser. <laughs> and I think for the consumer, the answer is just play Skylines. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait, you know, wait a month after the release, read the reviews, then buy the game. You don't need something on launch day. Good point. I mean, it's, it's, it's an increasing problem, though, especially as you, you know, for instance, for a lot of the games that we're going to talk about today, you know, I buy the season pass and, and that's really just, that's just season passes make me feel like a sucker, right? I'm just giving money to people on the hope that they might release um, some digital content that I might want to play three or four months from now. Yeah, I bought one of those. The company went out of business two weeks later, and I've never bought one since. It really is a sucker bet at this point. Not how the industry should be working. I'm not a big fan of most of the monetary schemes that the game companies are coming out with, from early release to freemium to season passes, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's just so many terrible things that are creating a toxic feel for the consumer in, in video games. But I like to believe those things will weed them, th- themselves out because there is so much good content out there. There are so many good developers out there and they're getting more access to distribution channels now. You don't have to be an EA or a Ubisoft to, to get your game out there anymore. You can go through Steam Greenlight and really be an overnight success again. And it's, I think it's creating an industry where smarter purchase models will be implemented, hopefully. Well, I like that you went with Steam Greenlight because that brings us to a question that I wanted to talk about, which is so between Steam and Apple, as you said, everyone's a gamer if they're playing on their phones. Between Apple and Steam, there are these content standards that the companies have, and they've, we've seen some stories of the companies themselves kind of suppressing games that don't meet their content standards. So I wanted to talk about, like, is that an area uh, kind of rife for rife for future legal battle? Yes, absolutely. So Steam in particular, uh, I got a lot of flack for this because uh, as liberal as I am, which I believe I'm one of the most liberal people in the world, I, you know, the internet will prove you wrong in that. And I am now on the side of censorship, <laughs> apparently. But uh, basically what happened was Steam has this green light process where anyone can put a game on there. They really don't have content standards. Uh, not in a negative way. They just kind of say, put whatever you want on here and let the community decide if it if it's good enough, we'll approve it, and that's it. Uh, but there was this one game called Hatred, which was literally it, it, like a 13-year-old gothic boy's you know, wet dream. It was you wear, put on a leather jacket, and you go outside and you commit suicide by homicide after saying some of the most cliched, you know, crappy metal band lyrics you can think of. But the game is just terribly gruesome. There's, there's not that I'm against violence in games by any means. It's just a, it's a new level. It, it's, uh, you know, you literally not to be ridiculous with it, but you pull a baby from a stroller, kill it, then put a shotgun in the mother's mouth and blow her head off. It's clearly something that if, if it gets popular, it's going to be on every news channel. It's going to be in every legislator's next, you know, hot button issue prep pamphlets that are sent out to senior citizens who are the only people that vote. And all of a sudden you're going to have bad legislation. So my argument was not, oh, don't make bad video games. My argument was have some common sense. You know, as an industry, we need to self-regulate or we're going to have bad laws. There's going to be legislators creating terrible laws because, again, they, the people making these laws can barely open their emails. So Steam initially said, sorry, Hatred, this is too much for the first time ever. We're, I believe it's the first time ever. I don't want to be quoted on that, but whatever. They said, we're going to take this game down. Uh, you, can't, you can't be in our marketplace. 
it created a decent amount of buzz. The uh, you know through gaming journalism, it was popping up here and there. All of a sudden, the the owner of Valve, Gabe Newell, who is you know a, a legend in video games, came forward and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We didn't mean to take it down. Whoever did that was acting above their pay grade, and we're going to now allow you back onto Steam Greenlight." So Steam kind of retracted its opinion there, in disagreement with me. Video games uh-huh. have. Yeah, video games have the uh, ESRB, which is the ratings board. They're the ones that put the little M on a game if it's mature or, you know, the T if it's for teens, whatever. They are not a government body. They're a self-regulation body. They're something that the game industry has, so we don't have legislation. So we don't have legislators come down and say, now you can't put guns in a game or something ridiculous like that. The ESRB does very good work. They get a lot of slack sometimes, but they do very good work. And they really do a good job of keeping away actual politicians that could do a lot of harm. So here we have a game that's kind of skirting around the ESRB because they don't have a lot of power on Steam. And it is a game that is going to get headlines, is going to – it's a terrible game. It's not going to be – That's the only reason why they made it, right? I mean they only made it for the shock value. Exactly. And they were actually asked, are you doing this as like an art piece? Are you doing this for whatever? And they said, no, we just wanted to annoy people. So you know, the, the creators are a bunch of morons. But – for what it's worth, there are a bunch of morons who are going to get headlines. And those headlines are, you've seen it before. As bad as Grand Theft Auto is, it's nothing compared to this game. And you're going to see the same buzzwords and the same stupid headlines. And then all of a sudden, it's back on, you know, we're going to have Jack Thompson 2 out again. I don't know if you remember him. but Yeah, he, um, I was actually going to mention, like, he, uh, he ended up getting disbarred for all of his efforts. He did. He was the yeah. definition of a lunatic. And unfortunately, when you search for a lot of my stuff, because I, I go by video game attorney on things like that and Reddit, so every once in a while, Jack Thompson pops up in a search result, and people uh, often, not oftentimes, but sometimes confuse me with him. And it's uh, clearly we're on two different sides of the argument there. So I, that, but on this case, I guess I'm on censorship a little bit. It's very much the this is why we can't have nice things argument is what you're Exactly. We have to understand there's a line. If you want to make that game and sell it on your website, fine. But don't put it in a mass marketplace where it's going to single-handedly destroy the, ish- the industry potentially or, or create these laws where even games like Destiny you won't be able to play or, or Shadows of Mortar like you said before. It's just those completely come off the marketplace if violence is toned down so much in games. You're right. You're right to point out that regulators have a higher tolerance for regulating guns in games than guns in real life. But where do you draw the line? And when you're talking about when you're talking about potential censorship or potential self censorship, where do you draw the line on you know TNA games? Look, if Namco wants to spend fifty million dollars to make sure Ivy's blossoms jiggle correctly um, on Soul Calibur. That's going to be a game that people are allowed to buy and sell and whatever. But once once it crosses the imperceptible line from a fighting game with a large-breasted woman to a pornographic game with a large-breasted woman, the regulators are going to have an issue. Where, where do you draw that line? In all honesty, there has not been a line for me until this game hatred. I, I've never seen something where I was like, whoa, that's too much. And I, I felt very old for the first time when I saw hatred and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that is going to be out. Uh, so, I mean, when it comes to sex and, and all the other, and even violence, it's, there's a place for all that. You know, video games are an art form. The problem is when it goes to court, you know, there's been two examples already. When it w- went first in front of legislators, they were shown a minute and a half clip that was supposed to encompass what video games were. And it was a clip <laughs> from Grand Theft Auto and a clip from uh, Call of Duty. And it was just the most gruesome parts 
of these games, it would be like if I was trying to explain the movie industry to you and I showed you a minute and a half clip that was only from Hostile and Saw and said, these are what movies are, uh, people carving keys out of their own stomachs. You know, it's, <laughs> that's not what they are. So video games are not that either, but there's a place for those adult-themed games. Not every game has to be okay for children. Th- that's why we have a rating system. But even that rating system fails when it's something that's going to evoke such a visceral emotion in a community that it's just not going to be allowed to be made. The governments are going to start stepping in and saying, this is too much for any citizen to play regardless of age. We don't want this. We think this is going to breed serial killers or people who fantasize about this. And even though I don't agree with that, I agree with the stupidity of politicians. And I think that we need to kind of prep for that. So the TNA is less of an issue to me because I, I don't think that's going to get the same kind of we can't have this emotion. Uh, and then, <laughs> I, I, maybe it depends. You're right. <laughs> Love is a pure and good emotion. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but and then the other the other example I alluded to uh, in Indiana, I believe it was there was a senator who voted to ban violence in video games, whatever that bill was. And when asked why, he said, well, to be honest, I don't want to, but the uh, the pamphlets that are going to get mailed to every senior citizen here are then all of a sudden going to say I'm for murder in video games and I'm for breeding violence and they don't know what games are and I can't explain it to them. So I have to vote no. And that kind of that's the way our political system works. And that's terrifying when it comes to censorship. So I really that's why I'm such a strong advocate for self-regulation, because we understand the industry. We know what games are. We know what the gaming community wants and plays and needs. And these kind of games that are pushing the envelope just to push the envelope are not a necessary part of that. Every time I get trapped west of the Hudson talking about violence in video games, I always agree. I say, yeah, Buck Hunter is terrible. Right. These are defenseless animals that we are shooting in bars, man, um, which is always fun for me. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's take a quick break, and we'll come back on the other side of this and kind of transition to something a little more esoteric. Sponsors. This is normally the time in our show where we have sponsors. And potentially that means that you can be a sponsor. Think Like a Lawyer is seeking sponsorships. So if you're interested in participating in our programming or would like more information about rates, please contact the team at Legal Talk Network at info at legaltalknetwork.com or go to their website at www.legaltalknetwork.com and click on Advertise. And now we're back. So let's talk now about something a little more uh, divorced from the real world. Let's let's apply some law to the video game world. Uh, Ellie, you have a you have a hypo for us. Okay, so like many people on Earth, I've played a bit of Destiny. I've played perhaps more Destiny than lots of people, as I have, uh, let's say, call it a masochistic desire for pain um, and torture. Um, now, in, in the world of Destiny, it's not unlike lots of uh, space video games. You're, there, there's, there's some alien races. They're doing some bad things. You take your guns. You go. You kill the aliens. You win. Actually, Destiny has a terrible story, so I'm not sure what you win, but you win, like, a bigger gun. Fine. In one of the key scenes of Destiny, in their first big shiny raid, which the game is actually is, is very good at, it's called the Vault of Glass. Now, the Vault of Glass, you kind of go into the moon, and you go, and you find this guy named Atheon, who is just sitting there. And let me tell you guys, he is just cleaning his glass. He lives in a vault. He's very happy. When you go to try to kill him, he's not even trying to kill you. He's trying to move your way. He's trying to to teleport you to a different dimension. So you get out of his house. Yet You and five of your friends go into his house, shoot it up, and kill him. How 
Is that legal? Atheon's not harming anybody. He's not doing anything. Sure, maybe one day he wants to take over the universe, but he hasn't taken it over yet. What is this, a precog? We're, 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 we're punishing Atheon for stuff that he, for crimes that he has not yet committed. Ryan, go. How is that legal? Sounds like you just described SEAL Team 6 and Osama bin Laden, you unpatriotic jerk. No, <laughs> 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 no uh, basically, first and foremost, Destiny is not trying too hard with their story. The good guys are called the light. The bad guys are called the darkness. You're found by a ghost, literally named Ghost. But all that said... You know, preemptive strikes are something that exists in the world, and the uh, the rules for them have changed. I actually, we you know, we had talked about this before the interview, so I'm not going to pretend I was an expert on international preemptive strike law. But uh, I read an article by law professor Ashley Deeks, and interestingly enough, the initial test came from a dispute between the United States and United Kingdom in 1842. It's called the Caroline case, and it basically said if you were afraid of imminent harm, you could strike first against another nation. So, you know, this wizard in there, he's part of a, a species that has already attacked humans, been done plenty of damage. He can be equated to a terrorist organization. And the as technology increases, this test of what's imminent has changed also. You know, with the Internet, with technology, with terrorism – there's no longer warning signs. There's no longer dotes, uh, boats docking and putting missiles in Cuba and things like that. So what's imminent has, at least in American eyes, changed. We, we have gone into you know, Iraq, to Afghanistan, to Syria based on what we think they're going to do without a lot of troop movement or anything like that. So Destiny is even further in the future. Who knows what kind of crazy technology they have? There's a giant celestial body called the light that protects you. So when you bring in weird angel space demons, you know, I feel like the laws have to change a little bit. So basically you're saying that Destiny players are working for the traveler who is actually George W. Bush. That, that's <laughs> well, what I would never to. insult anyone by comparing them to George W. Bush, but that's uh, <laughs> fair enough. In general, the right and lots of video games, there there are some to me significant genocidal issues. Uh, to go back to Shadow of Mordor, which is where I started, the orcs live there. That's their home. <laughs> Who's these are sovereign people? How do you have the right to just go in and start lopping off heads? Well, when you're walking through, if they see you first, they try to lop your head off. Yes, so that, I actually that agree. harm is yeah. imminent. When you're walking through Mordor, you always have the right for self-defense. <laughs> right. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, this goes back to every game ever where, you know, you, you, even Final Fantasy VII, which I said before, you, you walk through certain areas of towns and, and all of a sudden you get a random encounter with some guy who was probably just farming or smoking a cigarette and hanging out. All of a sudden you're trying to chop his head off. It's, uh, you know, you got to level up, seven. Final Fantasy VII is great because that is the most anti-corporate theme that almost that you've seen in a video game. The whole the whole big bad guy is is an evil corporation, which is rare. I mean, well, not rare entirely. There, I mean, Resident Evil kind of has that, and even Armored Core was like that. But but yeah, you're right. It's it's uh, it's always nice to fight the power. <laughs> Says the three lawyers. Yeah, and this idea that. This idea that these games, by their very structure, and I think there's this isn't the only we haven't hit the bottom of the barrel of the examples. But a lot of these games do invoke genocide and other war crimes as story story points. Like that's part of the discussion. That's why a couple of years ago the Red Cross started talking about whether or not they should recommend that video games and nations who are 
parties to these treaties start imposing censorship on these concepts in games. And I think we all have talked, and obviously our hatred discussion, we kind of all talked about how violence in a video game does not necessarily lead to violence outside. But could the Red Cross have some kind of a point that if you start teaching young people that this is the this is acceptable behavior that they might not go out and commit genocide on their own but maybe be numbed to the idea that they that their leaders are violating international law well i definitely will never concede that violence in video games leads to violence in real life i think if anything it's much more of an outlet for you know anger or negative emotions it's not training you to foster those and build them uh, so, you know, as much as I was against the Internet on the previous point, this one, I'm very much with them that any kind of study or, or law or, or ruling that I've seen that says violence in video games leads to violence in real life, I, I find very ridiculous. I have not seen it or read any kind of study that says differently. But that said, I mean, that's just a good point that things like if that people like the Red Cross are, are saying this, it, it's going to come to blows eventually where – the various governments or various legislative bodies are going to say, everyone's playing games now. Here's what every eight-year-old boy is playing. Is this creating monsters? And I mean, what's... I, well, yeah, I, sorry. No, and, and I, I guess I, I also don't buy the it leads you to go out and commit violence. But the question that when I started reading up on this Red Cross thing that, that hit me and seemed somewhat almost persuasive, I don't know if I'm all the way there yet, but that... If a population plays video games that suggest that whenever you perceive any threat, you can go in and and demolish it, is that just breeding the next generation of people who won't be critical when Dick Cheney says, well, of course, we've got a little bit of yellow cake. Let's go. Well, the scarier thing with that is that at the same time, war is becoming much more like a video game. We have drone strikes being piloted from America operating on the other side of the world. Right. So and who I mean. Not to be a sci-fi geek, but really, who knows what we're going to have in 20 years. There really might be the equivalent of mech suits or, or just holding a joystick in Seattle while you're uh, fighting in North Korea. The second you are removed from warfare and you're killing people with what is like a video game or like a robot, I could see that kind of – I could see that issue where you've become desensitized to gaming and, and warfare and killing and all of a sudden you're basically doing the same thing. Just it's not real life to you, but it's very real life to them. Uh, you know, that is something I could see definitely being not necessarily an issue, but but a, an important thing to keep tabs on. All that well, said, we're not going to end warfare in games and we're not going to end, you know, you're the one lone human trying to save yourself or get out or, you know, get out of Mordor. It, it's just that's so many storylines. So it, and it, it's not a bad storyline. You're the hero. They're the bad guy. It's very clear and obvious. And, you know, it, it of course, all morality is relative, but. At the end of the day, you know, the orcs don't seem too great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not just going to do a thinking like a lawyer bit here. I'm going to be thinking like a Republican lawyer because my counter argument is actually a very kind of market based solution. And I think that as I think if we look at games and the kind of the long, the long tail of it all, one of the things that gamers have consistently wanted is more choice. And I think, you know, it kind of goes back to the old Sierra days, the old Oregon Trail text-based games uh, uh, craze, the old, and even before that, choose-your-own-adventure books. And I think we're seeing a lot of that, especially with MMOs, we're seeing a lot of that kind of happen again. I think what we're going to see is that you can kind of handle these like genocidal 
issues a lot better if you get the, if you give the players meaningful choice in how they want to progress or go through the story. So I used to play a lot of uh, SWOTOR, the the Star Wars MMO. And, you know, the choices in that are very kind of obvious because it's Star Wars and you, you always know when you're choosing the dark side, right? Um, but I have friends who play that game who, like, won't play as Sith because they just don't like it, you know? <laughs> like, it's just... they no, I'm the same it. way. I'm light side for life, man. <laughs> right or die, man, right? They want to bring balance to the Force. They don't want to be a bad guy. And I think that, you know, that's a kind of... That's a fun example. But I think more and more what we see, you know, if you ever play Fallout... What gamers want is to have meaningful choice. All the Telltale games, I mean, oh my God, if I've played the, uh, so I've played the Walking Dead Telltale game and the uh, Game of Thrones one. And that, that's all choice. That's, the graphics are minimal. Um, the, the action is minimal. But the emotional choices that you make are really compelling and those games sell like hotcakes. Yeah, the Mass Effect series the same way. A, a game that was probably in my runner-up after Civilization. That is the future. I mean, game companies know that. They're certainly trying to implement it. It is difficult because at at one point, when these choices become so meaningful, you almost have to create six games to sell one game. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're completely going light or dark or changing into a good guy or bad guy, it it really is just a lot of extra work. And the thing with kind of how these things are being played and the desensitization and all that, uh, which isn't a word I misspoke, but whatever. It's (laughs) it's, (laughs) it, It is now. Right. If you saw, though, some of the stuff my clients are working on right now or, or even what's just available at expos, it would really blow your mind. It, it's no longer, you know, you just put on a headset and you feel like you're kind of there and it feels funny. It's very much more, you know, you Visceral? are there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unreal. It, it's mind blowing. It, it honestly was a bit scary because I very much could see someone losing in five years when they're in it, when they're out. It's just, it's too real already, and it's only going to get better. And what then when you start killing people with your own hands in a game, even if that person is a, a pixelated image, that becomes much more real. You're doing it now. You feel like you're actually committing that act or that murder, or even if it's just stealing, whatever. And I could see people being desensitized that way much easier in a, in a scary way. Well, I hope it's not going to start with killing. I would, I would imagine it starts with, with loving, right? I mean, that's going to be that. No, that, you know that's porn not industry true. is probably going to be all over that. <laughs> oh, they do. They, yeah, I, I, never mind. I almost broke privilege, but it's a, it's a good one. <laughs> I'll say this: both both industries are coming pretty hard at it uh, with the the so porn industry. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whoop. Uh, the porn industry and the the violence game industry both know the money that's here, and and they're in a race to make the most real experience. That's the future. I mean, we, we, I think I spoke earlier about how I have a two and a half year old and it's, and it's funny to me because that's his future, right? When I want to play video games with my kid, it's not going to be picking up the sticks and going at it, you know, five rounds and tech it. It's going to be him and some kind of who knows, um, literally kicking his old, old man in the balls. <laughs> and you're going to have to be Finally, you know, in good shape. Camp. You should see a lot of these things work with uh, frictionless, frictionless shoes that you run on like a, a pad basically and it feels when you're ducking it feels when you're jumping and it feels when you're jogging or sprinting or walking and all of a sudden you know your your nine-year-old kid who's playing video games is in better shape than his buddies playing football oh my <laughs> i don't even have a response to that i'm just scared <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's a strange world that's coming well i think that brings us to the end of this episode thanks a lot ryan for joining us Thanks for having me. It was fun. Yeah, that's uh, that's Ryan Morrison from Ryan Morrison Law and the video game attorney on Reddit. Are there other ways people can get a hold of you? 
Uh, it's Mr. Ryan Morrison on Twitter also. It was the only iteration. I'm not pompous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. And thanks, Ellie, for another enjoyable podcast. I hope you never have children, Joe. I mean, I think that's, I think that's generally what everyone thinks. And until I can get conned into going on Maury, I think I'm okay. <laughs> All right, with that, thank you all for listening, and remember to follow us on iTunes, and that way you can increase our subscriber rate and move us up the rankings of podcasts out there. Uh, you can follow AboveTheLaw.com and ATL Redline, which are where both of us write on a daily basis. And I'm at Joe P- Joseph Patrice on Twitter. He's at LENYC. And that's, I think, me going through all the ways people can get a hold of us. All right. With that, we'll move on to our next episode in a couple weeks. See you later. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.